You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. It is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. A shorter show today should be dropping for you early on a Thursday morning, right before a Perhaps, maybe not a, but the most anticipated Thursday night football game. Maybe not of the season, but of the history of Thursday night football so far in the NFL. It's the now 7-0 Arizona Cardinals against a 6-1 Green Bay Packers team that just spent a year ago a time in the NFC Championship game. My name is Blake Murphy. On Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven, and a lot to talk about today. Despite the fact that it's a short show, spend some time going over the Cardinals Texans game. Uh, talk a bit about the injuries and COVID for the upcoming game and the rest of the season. With the news of JJ Watt and his shoulder injury coming down from Adam Schefter, finally talk about some of the matchups and decide a winner. Uh, obviously the. Opening news to talk about is probably the most disappointing for Cardinals fans, and in some cases, it's pretty gut-wrenching. J.J. Watt injured against his former team, um, did not seem that he was injured, did not leave the game. Uh, I believe it was Jess Root of Cardswire did notice that he came out of the game a tad bit earlier than plenty expected, wasn't noticed by most people. Um, If anything, it was more that People were paying attention to how long Kyler Murray stayed in the game as the Cardinals were blowing out the Texans at the time. And uh, he ends up going and having the shoulder injury ruling him out originally on Wednesday for that Thursday game. Did not practice on Tuesday, did not practice Wednesday, or was listed essentially as a DNP for the final injury report. And it turns out that the shoulder injury is going to be taking a bit longer. Uh, Adam Schefter breaking the news at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Cardinals fans everywhere. It was essentially like watching a beloved friend. Watt has essentially been one of the most anticipated signings uh, by this Cardinals franchise in quite some time. Not simply due to the fact that this is a guy who, you know, is a consummate professional, one of the Uh, guys you could assume would be a Hall of Fame lock uh, for the NFL Football League. But the fact that he was having an incredibly productive start to this Cardinals team, and in a lot of ways I think you could argue maybe the most valuable player on this Cardinals defense. Uh, While he hasn't shown up in the sack sheet necessarily, as far as for finding clutch plays, whether it stops on fourth down, swatting down passes, being able to apply pressure. J.J. Watt has been essentially everywhere for the Cardinals. He's looked like the J.J. Watt of old and is a huge reason why this team is 7-0. You talk about making big plays, talk about turnovers. J.J. Uh, Watt has been a part of a lot of what this Cardinals franchise has been doing. And while he played through the second half until the starters were pulled, uh, the Second opinion seems like it came back and talked about that he would need shoulder surgery, which is about considered a three-month timeline. If you look at where you're at with the Cardinals in the NFL, football as a sport only lasts about four months or so long. It feels like it's a little longer now with that 17-game season, and I'll talk a little bit about that may benefit, but what a loss this would be for a team to lose a guy like that for the locker room, 
to lose a guy like that on the field, someone who essentially in a lot of ways has replaced Larry Fitzgerald as that kind of team leader, but he's done it in a different way. There is a sign in the stadium with J.J. Watt saying, maybe we're just better, at least quoting that quote that did go viral, uh, I believe about a week or so ago from the Cardinals. And that guy now is going to be out on the sideline recovering, going through the issues. And this isn't a one-time thing with Watt. This is part of with J.J. Watt. You kind of get what you pay for with J.J. Watt as far as when he is on the field, tremendous production, tremendous character and leadership. And then there's injuries that have kept him off the field. Looking back through the history of J.J. Watt, you've seen, uh, I believe, four seasons in which he's had his season cut short. Seven, which he has played all 16 games. Now, there have been times that he's been roughed up or has played through injuries. Uh, but ultimately, like the way that you'd look at J.J. Watt, especially when you talk about players who have a history of getting banged up, have a history of um, previous injuries, you kind of talk about him as being similar to maybe like a glass cannon. Now, he played all 16 games last year. But when you're talking about the potential for injury, then the risk... He was one of those guys that was higher on the charges because of the previous injuries you could exacerbate. There's times he's played through injuries. This is one of the areas, at least, where you compare it kind of to a glass cannon. A cannon being the type that you can, you know, take down enemy ships, being able to see this blast out, this explosive nature. And then guys who, at least when they have enough, you know, hits that they end up kind of breaking down quite a bit. And that was one of the risks that people accepted with J.J. Watt and, you know, you could look back and say, oh, man, Cardinals messed up. There's a mistake. That, that is not what fans are saying. That's not really what many people are saying whatsoever. Because I think people at least recognize that J.J. Watt has been a tremendous part in the Cardinals being 7-0. and 7-0 and without having a trap game for the Texans that people were – no one really was predicting the Cardinals. One of the largest spread margins that we've seen in the NFL, and they covered it pretty handily, 31-5. Uh, Scorigami, by the way, for those who pay attention or follow, anytime that the NFL has a game that ends with a score that has never happened before in the history of the game, it's considered Scorigami. 31-5, to due to the safety that we'll talk about, was one of those games. It was also a game in which the Cardinals, you know, you could talk about you won an easy game, you lost J.J. Watt, but it's not a game, I think, at least, that people would say you regret playing Watt. It's not a place that you regret signing him. It's one of those areas where you accept some of the risk that comes with some of the play. I think there's too often that there's these glass cannons we talk about that are maybe these speed players who get hurt or these type of, you know, a guy who's a running back that's uber talented and then, oh, he, he just got hurt again. He's spending all of his time on the sideline. You can talk about maybe quarterbacks. I like to think of at least looking at the likes of a Carson Wentz. Maybe you can take a look even at... Um, Likes of a Tua Tagovailoa, guys who are effective when they're on the field, but will put their body at risk. And as a result of making some of those plays, they will end up missing games and missing some time and hopefully not developing too many long injuries. But that is one of the avenues that a lot of people were concerned about when it came to Kyler Murray. Is he going to be able to survive at that height with the way that he plays? Is he going to be able to run as much? You know, we've seen, I think, in a lot of ways has been Kyler has so far started every game that he's been in. He's left games because of injury. But overall, as far as when it's come to durability, it hasn't been as much of an issue. 
Now, transitioning into talking about the Houston Texans game, at least, um, we can talk a little bit about as far as with Watt replacement, some of the other things is the other side. But I do want to at least get to talking about the game. This is one of the first areas where I think some people may have had concern for Kyler Murray's ability because when that first quarter started, and I think you can call this game that you talk about a tale of two cities. A lot of times you talk about football games as a tale of two halves. I think this is more of a tale of three quarters or maybe in particular tale of one quarter, which was the first quarter of the game, which the Cardinals started off with a pass completion of 13 yards or so to A.J. Green, and then I believe another 11 yards to Zach Ertz. And then you just seem to see the wheels fall off of the Cardinals' passing attack. Kyler Murray took a sack of minus 10 yards. They punted after a three and out. You took another sack, at least, of 14 yards up the middle. Josh Jones didn't have his best game, and he admitted that afterwards in a tweet. You also then saw the entirety of the Cardinals' offense be pushed back to the point where after a couple of trading blows of three and outs Kyler Murray they're in the end in the end zone punt gets down right basically at the one or two yard line instead of running the ball out of the end zone or taking a shot and try to see if you can get a bit of the yardage back get a little bit of room Cardinals design up a running play for him and we've seen this before we've seen where the Cardinals been backed up sometimes they'll give Kyler Murray the ball he'll be able to pick up a few yards or slide down and you'll be able to see Arizona get a bit out of trouble it's the idea of Kyler Murray and his legs can bail the Cardinals out of trouble. Well, this time, it seemed as though the Texans are ready for it. They seem to at least have a game plan of making sure they could disrupt the Cardinals' offense, making sure that they were able to get interior pressure on Kyler, try to force him to have to beat their edges, who are playing contained very well, or that they would force him to try to keep running backwards, running backwards, take a huge loss on the sack which we saw both with the 10-yard sack and the 14-yard loss that we saw in those sacks. This time it seemed that they were, in whatever case, either ready, whether they were spying Kyler, whether it was simply just playing a bit of zone and a guy kept his coverage responsibly. Kyler took a big hit right on the goal line, and the Cardinals end up having it ruled as a safety. They kick it back to the Texans to drive down and get a field goal, making it a 5-0 game. Cardinals had one yard total offense by the end of the first quarter and so some people could say well is this maybe the blueprint for beating the cardinals i think that less the blueprint for beating the cardinals and more of if you're going to get interior pressure on a quarterback to make him feel uncomfortable and you're going to take advantage of seeing a weakness of a player maybe it's back at maybe it's simply a guy who maybe got a little sloppy with the technique with josh jones i think that's something that's fixable Maybe it's just a case of you come out and say, all right, no one believes in us. We've lost three to four games straight. This is going up against some of the former teammates. We've got something to prove. While the Cardinals seem to think, oh, we can come out, sleepwalk through this game in a short week and come away with a win. And ultimately, then at the end of that first quarter, the Cardinals had adversity. Kyler Murray has taken hits. He's taken bad sacks. He came out of the game at one point and went into the blue tent. Now, fortunately for the Cardinals, it wasn't a case where Kyler did not come back out of that blue tent. He said he was fine, a little bit sore. One of the plays, it seemed as though his helmet was tugged on. There was uh, potentially a face mask that wasn't called. Sometimes you get those calls, sometimes you don't. It's been very interesting to watch the Cardinals have Kyler get what I think you might argue is looking at some of these calls, maybe a makeup call or two. I don't like makeup calls versus getting the calls right, but hey, like teach their own, <laughs> right, referees? <laughs> The question then was, how would the Cardinals respond to adversity? How would Kyler respond to adversity? 
And what we ultimately saw was the Cardinals, and I think I even said this to, um, was watching the game, said this to the people around me, it was noticeable that the Cardinals just kept passing, passing, passing the ball. Didn't even attempt to run the ball once. The Texans tried to run the football. They were stopped short. They got, I think it was at least about, they got eight first downs throughout the entirety of the game. And they were barely able to run the ball on the Cardinals at all. It was just no-go whatsoever. Their offensive line was terrible. I said at least at the end of the first quarter as well, Texans, they can't stop the run. Cardinals are just going to find some way to adjust. Coaches will be able to figure it out. And the reason why we know that is because we've seen it already, not just this season. We've even seen it in seasons prior that they're able to find ways to adjust, especially on the defensive side with Vance Joseph. Now, the questions coming to this year was, would Cliff be able to make those same type of areas and adjustments? Would they be able to respond on the offensive side? And we definitely saw that in Sunday. We saw catches with Zach Ertz. We saw DeAndre Hopkins targets that got them out of their funk. We saw the Cardinals ride Chase Edmonds and James Conner. You didn't have to have Kyler Murray take some of those hits and running the football because they've been able to not only take hits, they've been giving hits. And I think some of the play has to be talked about, not just Hopkins starting off, but the Cardinals were able to drive down the field. And there was a pass that was missed for Kyler to hop, give another uh, quick slant. I think it was a quick pass route to Zach Ertz, who they ruled that he was down at the one-yard line, didn't get in, rather than it being essentially what you would look at as the wheels falling off of a Cardinals team who finally get a 14-play drive, get down the field, and then suddenly have it turned over on the goal line to the Texans, it would have probably sucked the wind of any of that positive momentum out of the building. Instead, Ertz is down. The Cardinals are able to, with a beautiful play call that seems like it's setting up a pick play for DeAndre Hopkins, not targeting him, trying to get someone open outside. He then just calmly steps back inside, completely wide open by himself, a nice little design that takes advantage of team defensive expectations. And suddenly the Cardinals have the lead. After all of that in the first quarter, it ultimately didn't matter because the Cardinals were the more talented team. And after that, the route was on. The Texans' offense, I, I talked about in the podcast last week, the Texans are what I think at least are a decently well-coached team. You can see at least that their quarterback is able to take a lot of the checkdowns, take what's there. If there's nothing, at least it's downfield. If you're getting under pressure, make sure you're not taking bad sacks. Make sure that you're able to make plays. What we've seen, at least, is that the Cardinals had quite a few sacks they were able to make of Davis Mills because, in some cases, the offensive line just couldn't handle them, not able to hit the checkdown pocket closing in. Whereas we've seen some guys in the past were able to get away, such as Baker Mayfield or even Trey Lance, the Cardinals were able to bring Davis Mills down. And as a result, it turned into a complete rout because those five points were the only five points the Texans scored on the entire day. The Cardinals' defense, well, from Watt to the rest of the D, was excellent. Now, that being said, this is, in context, a Texans offense that has been one of the worst offenses in the NFL. They're missing their starting quarterback. A third-round rookie is back there. They're missing their starting left tackle. And their passing offense has truly struggled to be able to get the ball downfield at all. I don't know if there was even a single 20-yard downfield target that Davis Mills had. They took everything within about 5 to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, unless the play was wide open. 
The one time they went for it on fourth down to get some points. They at least designed up a little pick play. Ball's outside. Brandon Cooks, he gets his hands on it, but just drops the ball. There really was not much to speak about with the Texans offense. And that's where, at the end of the day, the Cardinals took care of business. Sure, you can look at it and say, but what was the cost with J.J. Watt? But ultimately, at the end of the day, the Cardinals taking care of business proves that when you're talking about trap games or talking about um, games in which the Cardinals at least face adversity and get punched in the mouth by a bad team looking for a win, the Cardinals responded essentially realizing, all right, we've got our business. We can adjust. We change and ultimately get the win. And that's something that we've seen some teams struggle with in the NFL. I think of the Los Angeles Rams a year ago who lost to the Jets, struggled to adjust. I think of even a team such as the Tennessee Titans this year who have gone out and crushed several other teams that were playoff teams from a year before and then struggled to the lowly Jets and lose a game. Well, sometimes you get punched in the mouth. You see teams that are not able to recover. The Cardinals veteran leadership has always been able to get them back on track in addition to the coaching being able to make solid choices and adjustments. And one of those adjustments that we saw was being able to simply get Kyler Murray a bit more protection through the run game. One of the reasons I think that running the football is important in the NFL is not necessarily just to run the ball or for rushing production. The Cardinals are one of the better rushing teams in the NFL this year, which I think may surprise some considering that Kyler is not, you know, running the ball the same clip he was last year. They were the number one rushing team last year in the league. But they are still ultimately, as far as for yards per game goes, they are a top five rushing team. Passing yards are not nearly as many, and some of that, I think, falls to the fact at least that they're a top ten team in passing yards currently, but they haven't had to really throw the ball done. They've been in positive game scripts they haven't ran the ball at least they've run the ball effectively and efficiently and a lot of it is because their turnover differential is third best in the nfl they are right now at least top five in points per game because they're converting points despite the fact that there's not necessarily a huge amount of yards a huge amount of um a huge amount of maybe yards per game comparatively they're still converting and scoring ultimately in the points with the red zone off of explosive plays or by being able to run the ball efficiently, get down the field, and then punch it into the end zone when it matters. It's part of why the Cardinals are a good team this year is that they've got that complete team atmosphere and to boot they're getting turnovers at a solid rate. Not the best in the NFL. It still belongs to the Bills. Very much, I think, some of the schedule of the Bills playing a part of that. The Cardinals have had a tougher schedule. But ultimately, they've been able to have a complete team that can beat you multiple ways. They can beat you in a shootout. They can beat you in a game where you're just trying to basically get out of there alive, taking your lumps in a 17-10 defensive struggle. And they've proven they can beat you even without Chandler Jones or Cliff Kingsbury on the sideline, that they've got enough coaches that are able to deliver on the game plans that were done during the week, be able to call the plays, and be able to go and carry about their business. The Cardinals are a great team. And they were able to essentially prove that against the Texans in a game that is probably going to not be remembered by many on a pretty forgetful day of NFL football. 
but it will be remembered by a lot of people for Zach Ertz and the first game we got to see of him in Cardinal Red. And that's the biggest takeaway I had from the game. Zach Ertz, when we've seen as far as his role, we've seen that he's not going to be used the same as a run blocker. This is his first game, so obviously things are a bit different, but the Cardinals kind of moved him on and off the field. When he was in, you got to see times he blocked, other times it seemed like that he was in the passing attack. And Ertz talked about how he loved how much green space there was in front of him. We've seen the Cardinals be able to push the ball downfield a lot and be able to spread defenses out by being able to say, all right, you got A.J. Green and Hop on this side. We've got Rondell Moore or Christian Kirk with their speed. Heck, we can even push Chase Edmonds or James Conner into the slot if need be. By spreading teams out and being able to utilize a lot of that heavy play action where teams have to respect not just running the ball with the running backs, but that Kyler could keep the ball and run, it's opening up a lot of that green space behind the linebackers because those safeties, they're they're pretty preoccupied with a vertical threat of Kirk, a vertical threat of A.J. Green, or having to double DeAndre Hopkins because, gosh, he may get a double move on a poor hapless corner and be gone. I think the Ertz impact will be a huge one. The only thing that was really surprising to me, I think, of the Ertz trade was not that Tay Gowan was included because Gowan, it's a guy that, you know, when you're talking about guys who are in the sixth round who have the tools and the traits, maybe not as much of the tape, they sit a year. There's a lot of those type of guys that are around in the league who could be someone, but it's not like the Cardinals gave up Byron Murphy to go out and get him. You know, you give up a guy who is a sixth-round pick and you give up a fifth-rounder to the Eagles. I think the biggest surprise was not necessarily that they gave up a trade and got Zach Ertz. I think it's the when. And to his credit, Max Williams has performed so well this year that the Cardinals didn't even go out and make a trade to clear up the cap space, clear up some cap room, give up an asset for next year that could hit in order to get that tight end because Max was playing so well. I do think... There's a good chance that the Cardinals will want to bring back Max next year and bring back Ertz just because having those two levels of tight end, being able to run more of that 12 personnel, being able to protect Kyler Murray to get the ball to some of these weapons as I think they'll probably get 4-2 speed Rondale more the ball more. It's going to be a big part of their offense. And that one play and that touchdown where Ertz is able to run behind a crossing route that Christian Kirk had and run the ball in for his first touchdown, becoming the first player, as has been mentioned at least, is going to be one of those avenues where the hope at least that you'd have for Cardinals fans is despite the fact that he's 30, you'd love to see at least, at least one or two more years, and perhaps the Cardinals will finally be able to break that curse of being the only NFL team without a tight end who's gotten 100-plus receiving yards in a game. Welcome to the desert, Zach Ertz. It's good to have you. Coming up after this break, let's talk about the J.J. Watt. Who are guys that could replace Watt? Are there guys on the roster? Are there other players around in the NFL? We'll talk about that and then talk about the upcoming Packers game. That'll be next here on the ROTB pod. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Let's go ahead and uh, talk a bit about with trades that some of these contending, uh, these Cardinals contenders can make at least as far as for who could they look at to replace J.J. Watt.
And welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, let's go look at the contending cards with J.J. Watt out for what seems to be the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. Let's talk first about Watt and the injury. So when you're talking about what looks to be a three-month recovery injury, there's a couple things that go into it. The first one, at least, is, is there a possibility that Watt will play through this injury? Now, I think that it's pretty safe to rule this out. Because when you're talking about the Cardinals, while it's a short week and maybe there's not as much time, they've been very consistent in two things when it comes to the medical health. The first is that they keep things pretty much on the down low until they have to report it. That's just, just how it is with the Cardinals as far as injuries. Cliff is a very private guy, likes keeping things secret. There's sometimes injuries that you aren't aware of until it hits or even cuts that aren't even... Um, uh, advertised or broadcast loudly. I think of the Robert Kimdichie release where he shows up to training camp. Cliff talks about him a bit. They go and talk to the media. They head out for the day, and 5.30 p.m., boom, he gets released. They don't have to answer questions. There wasn't really that much that was there. Most people even, not that it was a blindsided move, but it was just a case of the Cardinals keeping things pretty coy. They've done the same with injuries in the past, and it makes sense to some degree. Let the Packers, on a short week, have to prepare for J.J. Watt on Tuesday and Wednesday's worth of practice, having to prepare for here's the film, here's some of the techniques you may have to deal with, here's a protection if he starts beating our tackles that we're going to start to shift to. You prepare like you're going to be going up against him. So when this information leaks, I think it's pretty much evident that Watt is going to be getting the surgery and missing time because otherwise the Cardinals might just say he's out for this week. And, you know, we're going to take it day by day and talk about it after the press conference. You're probably going to be holding out some hope that he'd avoid surgery. I think that it's basically, at this point, guaranteed it's going to be needed. And so that's about three months. Now, looking at three months to the date from where J.J. Watt then would have the injury, interestingly enough, uh, the Cardinals played their game against the Houston Texans on the, I believe it was 23rd? Uh, 24th, I should say, sorry, of October. Exactly three months from the point where he gets hurt is January 23rd. So when you're talking about the NFL, you're talking about about a four-month-long process because about 16, 17 games a week, there's a year, I should say, excuse me, one game or so a week, there's a buy-in between, and you're then looking at essentially a really short time period to turn around guys have to essentially be able to come back in two to three weeks to be able to have an impact four to six weeks will be missing the majority of their season three months on that regard at least then is essentially missing the season now there is at least some good news and some cast context as well previously in 2019 jj watt ended up getting injured and came back for the texans playoff game so you're talking about, okay, maybe this is a similar situation. Watt gets hurt, comes back. Now that Texans playoff game, I think I pointed out on a tweet, was the last time we'd ever see Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and J.J. Watt all on the same team together. Seems kind of crazy to think about that. This is a Texans team that's up on the Chiefs 24-0 in the first quarter. And what happened after that game? Well, the Chiefs went on to win that game, blew the Texans out, went on to essentially get to the, I believe that was the year that they all went to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl trophy. It's crazy to think about that Hopkins has gone from that team. Watt is now a Cardinal being let go. And Deshaun Watson, 
by our guards is probably going to be a Miami Dolphin, assuming that his case gets figured out. It's just a rough complication with all of that going on. In any case, I think what would be most likely for the Cardinals is not to make a trade. And it seems like I've seen a lot of fans saying, make a trade now. This is an opportunity. you got to take advantage of it. So then the answer I at least give back is, all right, cool. Let's say the Cardinals make a trade. Who could possibly replace J.J. Watt? Is there anyone who can replace J.J. Like Watt at this point? And I think that the answer to that is, you look at the stats, the best edge rusher currently in the NFL as far as from a run-stuffing, pass-rushing perspective is T.J. Watt. Now, what about from the interior? Well, from the defensive tackle spot, all by himself in that corner is J.J. Watt, best against the run and against the pass. He's been having an elite season for the Cardinals. He might not be having elite sacks, but he's having an elite season. There isn't another player right now who's putting those numbers up. Even Aaron Donald, even Chris Jones, there isn't really a replacement then for J.J. Watt. Now, that may sound scary, but the good news behind a lot of that is, is in some cases, it means that the Cardinals did a fantastic job in identifying and acquiring Watt, even with the risk that goes. So if there's not going to be replacing Watt, could they make a trade for a player? A lot of Cardinals fans looked at Fletcher Cox's comments this week, and he essentially went out and just completely ripped a new one to his coaching staff. Whether it was through coverages, assignments, he's just not been impressed with the defense. A lot of people have wondered if he is trade possibility, if he just wants out. And it makes sense under a level two. The Cardinals just traded with the Eagles for Zach Ertz. They could just pick up the phone, hit redial, see if you want to offer up another pick, see if the retooling, maybe not tanking, but certainly struggling Eagles would be willing to take on a pick in replacement for the Cardinals replacing Watt. I think that that's a no for two reasons. The first is there is at some point a level of you can't simply just go ahead and keep trading all of your picks again and again just to try to cover for needs and injuries. That's part of why the salary cap comes in. We've even seen that when teams do go ahead and trade picks for proven players, they still end up using a lot of those draft picks. They think of teams like the St. Louis Rams that needed some of those second-rounders to fill out the rest of their team. You think also of just the facet of uh, going for it as a team. Let's say the Cardinals did go for it. You trade all your picks, you get all these players in, now let's say then you go and end up having Tom Brady get the ball back with 30 seconds left, an improbable pass gets completed, a tackle broken um, by Mike Evans. You know, maybe there's an offensive pass interference that's not called, and suddenly you end up out of it. There was an example of this we saw last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs were missing multiple offensive linemen. Did they get to the Super Bowl? Yeah. They were missing pretty much three-fifths of their offensive line. And Patrick Mahomes ran for almost an entire football stadium's length, maybe I think it was two to three football stadiums' length, being chased around by Tampa Bay. They got there, they couldn't finish it. And so that's the case that you can never guarantee yourself a title. But I agree with fans that you want to make sure that you're taking a shot. I think that that's what the Cardinals have done. And I think that's part of where the Zach Ertz trade will come in handy is, hey, if you're going to be missing J.J. Watt, but you're able to put up an extra touchdown each game, hey, Maybe you don't need to have the likes of Watt. If your defense is going to be the best in the NFL for points and you give up a little bit more with that Watt, maybe some of that scoring allows you to take care of that. But I don't think that necessarily is the one-to-one that you're looking for. 
I think that the Cardinals, when it comes to their positions and comes to areas, I don't see them trading for Cox, not to mention, if they did, his contract after renegotiating and kind of pushing some money back is essentially an untradeable contract is what people said, and I agree with that. It is not something the Cardinals could take on without potentially costing them in the long run. So Cardinals fans, you can't you can't have it all at some times. And this is the thing that's rough, because sometimes it seems like teams have it all, but the NFL is built around having players that can perform, that are being paid at the level of their producing. producing. So, hey, J.J. Watt having an elite season, great. He's getting paid like it. Chandler Jones having an elite season, great. He may be, you know, having slightly less than other top pass rushers are making. You need to have those Byron Murphys and the Marco Wilsons on your rookie deal. You need to have an Isaiah Simmons making plays in coverage or having a guy who is a veteran like Rodney Hudson on a decent deal who you've traded for and you got only under contract for two years versus giving this brand new deal right off the start. And that's where I think the Cardinals were at with Max Williams was that Williams, Ertz was to replace Williams I don't think that they're going to have the same issue. I think that when you look at their roster, there's been issues at the defensive tackle spot. We've only seen one game out of Jordan Phillips who played well against the Texans. We've only seen Zach Allen be able to make a couple of plays in a couple of games because he's been hurt a lot. Richard Lawrence has gotten hurt. Lucky Foe, too, spent some time injured, although he's been back and playing. He's still a bit more of a nose tackle than this dominant, penetrating defensive guy. And Corey Peters for this week is still remaining on the COVID list. So you're really going to be depending a lot on the likes of Jordan Phillips. But it's that area that the Cardinals do have some depth. They may not have playmakers necessarily, but they at least are able to field guys at the position. I I still think Kime could sign a veteran, just to add numbers, since we've seen quite a few guys get nicked up. But I think what happens more likely is the Cardinals will end up having probably their most obvious need heading into the 2021 draft of a defensive tackle or an edge rusher either to replace or take over from Watt or Jones. That's been something that they're going to need someone to get after the passer. And it's rough because they've done so well at getting after the passer. But you, you can talk about age and all three of those guys with him, with Golden, even with Kennard, they're all getting up there. you got to get a little bit of youth at that position that can rush the passer. And not just on a blitz, but a guy who can actually man that edge spot. And I think that is what Steve Kime will do. He will keep with the guys that they have. And they will be able to kind of tide things over until J.J. Watt can hopefully come back just like he did in the Texans game. So hopefully, Cardinals fans, that can be at least a little bit of peace for you is that the very first playoff game, the divisional round, is going to be around January 23rd, 24th. Around that same time, J.J. Watt could come back from that injury. Now, if the Cardinals are able to lock up a bye for the first number one scene, hey, more power to them. They would essentially be having to beat the Rams a second time, holding off a team like the Packers and the Cowboys being able to win a multitude of games. Teams will face adversity every year. We've seen the Cardinals be able to overcome it. It's going to be hard to overcome it without J.J. Watt by your side. But I think that the Cards can do it. I've seen them do it before. They did it without Chandler Jones and Cliff Kingsbury to boot. I think that this is going to be a proving ground in some ways for the Cardinals. 
And the hopes, at least, that you could have is that they'll prove themselves so that then when J.J. Watt does come back, the cards will reap the benefits. Now, let's spend the last part of the podcast. Um, sorry, at least as far as for the audio has had to change. It seems like we've been having some sort of uh, microphone issue, at least. Um, thankfully, you guys are still able to be listening if you're at this point. Finally, get to talk about the Packers game that's going on today. The big news of the week, no Devontae Adams. This is huge. Because while the Cardinals are getting back Chandler Jones and replacing a bit of the production, they've been doing this the last two weeks without him, Devontae Adams is 52 catches, 744 yards, three touchdowns. He's third in the NFL in receptions. He's third in the NFL as far as when it comes to receiving yards. He's third in the NFL when it comes to uh, catches of 20-plus yards. He's a huge explosive part of not just the Packers offense, but one of the most dominant wide receivers in the NFL. There's 67% of his catches have gone for a first down or a touchdown. And the craziest thing is he has 40% of the Packers receiving yards this year. More than pretty much any other player. That is not going to be on the sidelines for the Packers this week. Now, could there be something crazy where he gets a two negative test and makes the game? Sure, but there's a lot of Cardinals fans who said the same about Chandler Jones. And let's look at the time frame here. Chandler Jones, they got that COVID test designation on, I think it was, what, Tuesday of that week? And the Cardinals weren't going to play until Sunday against the Browns. Chandler Jones didn't even play the following week against the Texans. There is no way Devontae Adams will be at the game in time. Make matters at least a little bit more difficult for them. Their number two receiver is Aaron Jones, but the third receiver, at least, as far as maybe their number two wide receiver, Alan Lazard, the guy who they brought back that Rodgers likes, he's not Randall Cobb. He's not the rookie in Amari Rodgers, who's much more of a slot guy. He's kind of the other outside threat. He's out for the game, too. He uh, chose to not get his vaccination before, and as a result, when you have that type of exposure, a lot of times the NFL, you look at how they looked at vaccinated or unvaccinated, they essentially wanted to keep things very carefully because their goal is to avoid canceling games. You've got a guy, at least for that one, who spreads COVID. Um, uh, two other players and teammates where all of a sudden you have to cancel a game. That's the NFL's worst, uh, worst nightmare <laughs> for a season in which they've got fans back in the stands. Last year, you only have a couple thousand. You can move games around. Just be like, oh, sorry, uh, you know, we're moving the game because you don't have that many fans to move. We'll find people to fill up at least some of the seeds that allow it. We'll have a certain limitations on what we can have. But with those guys both out, I think it becomes a difficult matchup for the Cardinals, one that only really can be held in by Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers. But even the Aaron Rodgers that we know has not been the same Aaron Rodgers in a lot of ways. We look at the Packers team this year, they're not an elite offensive team. They're an average offensive team. They're an average defensive team. But they've been able to win games because Aaron Rodgers is able to do what Aaron Rodgers does. Outside of that first game of the season, they pretty much took it to the, a bad Lions team. They were able to beat a Steelers team that Big Ben has looked lost. And they are able to take down a Bears team. But it really was... That game against the Bengals, I think a lot of people got to see what it looks like for the Packers to play a good team. After week one, they got blown out to the Saints, and you can talk about there was you know, turnovers that happened, fumbles, there were sacks of Rodgers that went on in the game that maybe even made it a perfect storm to get a blowout in that regard. But the Packers only beat the Niners by two points. They let the Niners get back into the game and kind of close it out at the end. 
And against the Bengals, this is a Bengals team that's had a good defense. They've had a really good offense, but they only put up 25 points in a game that had multiple missed field goals of back and forth, back and forth. They could have lost at any minute. This is a Packers team that really was kind of, in a lot of ways, pretty close. The Cardinals have had really, in this season, only truly one close call with that being the game against the Niners. The rest of their teams have basically blown out and had one close call against the Vikings, I should say, and that missed field goal. But even the Niners game, it felt like it was in hand for Arizona throughout most of the time. They didn't really even turn on what they needed to do to win until late in the game when they needed a touchdown. They never lost control or lost the lead like they did to the Vikings. The Packers have had at least three or so of those games, all of them against pretty good teams. The Saints, the Niners, and the Bengals. Even last week against Washington, they only put up 24 points against a decent defense. One that's got a pretty great pass rush, but they struggled for a lot of the first quarter and the first half of that game. Ultimately, when you look at that game, it was a 14-7 game in the half with the Packers just barely scoring before the half. They were not putting this team away. And I think that when you're looking at the matchups that are going to be there, it's going to fall on Randall Cobb. It's going to fall on Robert Tanyan. It's going to fall on Marquise Valdez-Scantling, who was expected to be back, to kind of carry the load. So I think what that means is the Packers are going to try to run the ball on the Cardinals. Now here's the area. When you run the ball on the Cardinals, one of the advantages that you can have at least is keeping Kyler off the field, keeping your quarterback upright, and taking advantage of what may be one of the weakest parts of the cards. And it's for the most part we've seen that the Cardinals as a defense, they're a defense that is willing to sell out to stop the pass, that occasionally they'll have their linebackers get their eyes a little bit looking in the wrong place. Either they get caught off guard or maybe misdirection. You can run the ball on them. Now, there is a problem with that philosophy, though. And as we've seen multiple teams give up on the run against Arizona. Why is that? Well, it's because Arizona's offense on the other side is just too explosive. The Cardinals have been able to put up at least about an average of 30 points a game, able to hit with big plays, and by having their focus be on stopping the passing attacks, they've managed to be able to force some fumbles and get some turnovers, and then take advantage of said turnovers and be able to score and put teams ultimately in a position where they're now in a game script where they got to catch up by throwing the ball a ton. It's in this regard that I think the Cardinals end up having kind of the most interesting matchup because with those receivers and this Cardinals coverage, we've seen Arizona's coverage unit be part of the reason why they can gamble on the run by being able to sell it and stop the pass. They have been seeing Vance Joseph do awesome things where it's been a step up from Patrick Peterson in coverage and a step up from the likes of Drake Kirkpatrick on the outside with having more explosive guys or a kind of gritty, uh, much more scrappy player like Robert Alford, who I believe we saw at least for that one, did have a pick again of uh, Texans quarterback Davis Mills. This is one of those areas where I don't think the Packers have the ability to match up with Arizona, especially without Devontae Adams there. Let me be talking about Cobb, Amari, uh, Tanyan. With Simmons, you've got a 
Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson both playing. And you've got issues for the Packers on the offensive line. You've got Elton Jenkins has had to move to left tackle. Uh, their current all-pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari, has still been out. He's not been activated yet. On the other side, you've got they signed Billy Turner to play right tackle. He'll go up against the likes of Marcus Golden. Even without J.J. Watt, that'll be kind of a mismatch where I think he'll be able to get some pressure on Rodgers. Now, whether he can step up or be able to run a bit, maneuver like we've seen past quarterbacks, that's one of the areas, I think, at least, that that could be an edge for Green Bay. I think Green Bay also has an edge with Kenny Clark, who's having a great season. Uh, they're missing Zadarius Smith. They still have Preston Smith on the edge. Uh, matching up against a Cardinals team that is missing its starting center and has a nicked up potentially missing this week. Uh, backup center in Max Garcia. The Cardinals may be down to having uh, guys starting in bulk for the first time in Josh Jones and a third string center going up against a solid player in Kenny Clark. That is definitely another area where Green Bay can win. But the issue I think that I have as far as people picking the Packers to win is that it's really hard to take a look at the Packers secondary and what has been a decent but not great defense that really has been relying on their best player being Last year, Cardinal, uh, excuse me, sorry, uh, Devondre Campbell. He's been their best player. He's been playing at a high caliber level. He's been a fantastic fit in their system. Maybe it would have been something we'd have seen for Arizona if he'd played the whole season and they didn't go out and take Isaiah Simmons with the eighth overall pick. They weren't rotating them back and forth. They got Shannon Sullivan and Kevin King and uh, rookie in Eric Stokes. Going up against DeAndre Hopkins, against A.J. Green, against Christian Kirk, and against Rondell Moore. And now you're going to be talking about, okay, it's not Rondell Moore. It might just be Zach Ertz, who is going to get a linebacker or a safety on him. This is a secondary that may not have the ability to match up with this Cardinals offensive firepower, in part because we've seen few teams this season be able to match up with the Cardinals offensive power pyre at all. No one's really been able to stop them outside of the Niners. And the Niners didn't even stop them necessarily more than they slowed them to the point where it turned into a 17-10 type of slug match in part by the Niners going for it on fourth down every single time that they could to kind of keep the ball away from Arizona. I think that this is a good chance of the Cardinals that they can get up to be able to turn it into a pretty convincing win against the Packers, despite what people might think. They're at home. They haven't played as well at home. It is coming on a short week, but it's going to be a short week for the Packers, too, and they're going to be missing Rodgers' go-to guy. I think that the biggest question I have is, can the Cardinals keep the, turn, uh, keep the ball clean and not turn it over? If they end up having, say, you get a three-Kyler Murray interception game where... You know, he's under pressure. Maybe he fumbles it once or so. If you get a three-turnover game and the Packers keep it clean, they're able to punch it in with Jones, be able to run A.J. Dillon up the middle and score from uh, their own field position, then that's going to be one of the avenues that it's going to put the Cardinals into a negative game script. They're going to be the ones behind, and they'll have to be able to find a way to catch up against a Green Bay defense that's going to be blitzing up the middle, you'd imagine, quite often. That's the area where I could see Green Bay being able to win this game would be to take advantage of that and the Cardinals being able to get sloppy with either the turnovers or blowing some of those protections, Kyler taking some of those long sacks, and Aaron Rodgers essentially keeping the ball clean and ramming it down the Cardinals' throats. 
I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that this is a Cardinals team that not only are they taking the one game at a time mentality quite seriously, I think that they're going to be looking at this game as a prove-it type of game to say, all right, this is the Packers coming to town. This is Aaron Rodgers. This is a huge game. This is a huge televised game where everyone in the nation will be watching you. And in the past, we've seen the Cardinals wither under these lights and this pressure. But I think that the Cardinals teams of the past are not this team. And I have a feeling that those type of mismatches, the areas, I think that despite it all, Cliff has got a little bit of extra time to game plan for this team. We've seen at least that him taking a break, he got to get ahead on the Texans and immediately switch to the Packers. I think that they'll be able to design with their weapons a solid game plan. Whether or not they have Max Garcia, that will be able to put points up on the board against a Packers defense that, compared to some of the Packers defenses of the past, is kind of lousy. And if that's the case, I think that the Cardinals are able to win this. I've got Arizona winning 35-21 in this game. Part of me feels like if there's one or two turnovers, maybe you end up seeing Rodgers get it close. I can see 35-31. Some have said that this may be a lower-scoring game than the Texans game. I think it'll really depend on how Arizona comes out of the gate. It would not shock me, ultimately, if this is a game where they score more closer to 28 or go under 30 points or so. But this is ultimately an explosive offense going up against a not-great defense that really outside of a sort of Kyler Murray or another major injury is probably going to be able to handle the Packers defense. And on the other side of the ball, without Adams in there, a lot of people even say, oh, they didn't have Adams. It's not that much of a challenge. But we've seen Arizona be able to rise to the challenge before <laughs> against the Rams with a talented quarterback like Stafford tossing the ball around to Cup and uh, the likes of Robert Woods. They did it very well and handled them. And I think that they'll handle the Packers as well. Uh, we'll see. If they do, they will then go into kind of this mini-buy for the most part. We'll probably try to get some guests on at least to talk about the Cardinals. They'll be about halfway through the season at that point. I'll be able to kind of go and catch up at least for that with um, some of the other people around in the rest of the league as well. What we're seeing, what kind of matchups will be on the horizon for the Cards. In the meantime, let's enjoy this Thursday night game, the first of three national matchups for the Cards this season. And uh, let's pour one out for J.J. Watt and what's been an incredible maybe most valuable defensive player start to his season before it being untimely ended due to injury. And let's hope, <laughs> as Cardinals fans at least, pray for a speedy recovery for him. That'll be it for us today on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Julia tuning in for the most part, subscribing to listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, places like Spotify. There's always on revengeofthebirds.com. I'm Blake Murphy, and this has been the ROTB Pod. <laughs>